0: Welcome back. This is SubGW, and I'm Alex Davis. The episode you're about to hear features grad student Courtney Carruthers interviewing Allie Thompson, Project Lead at the Climate Service. Today, you'll hear Courtney and Allie discuss what it means to support minority-based communities in the era of climate change and overcoming barriers to achieve career success as a Black woman. So join subGW as we continue our journey, highlighting diverse voices in
1: planning. Enjoy. Oh you! Here to get to tell you or introduce me. so i'm I'm Courtney. i'm a uh, I'm a sustainable urban planning major at George Washington. Oh nice. Awesome. It's nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you. I'm Allie. I did the program from 2016 to 2018. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, that's crazy. It feels like yesterday, but I guess it's been a few years now.
1: Things have changed. Things have changed. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm happy I get to, uh, interview you. This is awesome. Cause you know, I don't get to see a lot of representation. So I'm excited. Awesome. Let's do it. Great. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to ask me, Um, but I'm just gonna go through a list of questions that I have um, and just be as transparent as possible. Um, So yeah, Um, I did a little bit of research on you. Um, I was excited when Alex gave me the opportunity to do this um, because right now I am uh, in uh, the program's climate change class and I'm also taking low carbon cities, which you're not supposed to do. So I don't recommend doing that, but it has been very eye-opening for me. Um, So just for starters, can you tell me um, or us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, a bit about your educational background and where did you go to undergrad and your major and stuff?
0: Yeah, so I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I um, went to undergrad at a school called Valparaiso University, which is in Indiana, and they had a really good school for meteorology at the time. And so as a kid, I always knew I was going to be in some type of scientific field. And uh, what caught my attention the most was atmospheric science and just kind of how the atmosphere works. And uh, so I studied uh, meteorology and geoscience. So it's just overall the study of the earth and its movement. And that was my undergrad. And I got an internship that led me to DC. I was working at an environmental nonprofit, uh, feeling a little unfulfilled um, because while I understood a lot of the background on atmospheric science and meteorology, I became more and more interested in how we interact as people with the atmosphere and what are the impacts to us humans living here and so i didn't even know what urban planning was but i somehow just started googling around or different certifications or programs that had climate change and people and i came across the gw program and so i i enrolled uh, just for a certificate Um, So I was only supposed to do like two semesters or something like that, and then I was just so interested in it, and I had taken so many courses already that uh, the professors were like, you know, if you just took like four more classes, you would have a full master's degree, and so that is how I ended up with a master's degree in urban planning and climate change management.
1: Oh, wow, (laughs) that's cool. I'm sorry, that's really cool. (laughs) Um, So how did you choose George Washington out of all places? I mean, obviously you had an internship and came across country, but I mean, and you just told us that sustainable urban planning was kind of like, you know, most of us will say, I you know I personally said like, this is something that I just looked up on like mm-hmm. God, this. And like, so how did you choose George Washington? Because obviously there are a few in the country that have like an environmental sustainability major, generally they're in, in California, but mm-hmm. how did you choose George Washington in particular?
0: Yeah, so my reason was a little more, I guess, practical than, I didn't make the decision with my heart. I made it out of just like logistically. So I, uh, at the time I had a full, i gotten a full-time job. And so I needed something local to do while I worked. And so this program allowed me to work full time and take classes at night, and it also had the sustainability and climate aspect, where some, I think a majority of the programs I looked up didn't have the climate aspect. And so, um yeah, not a lot of thought went into it to be honest. It was just like, where can? And at the time, you know, this was before COVID and everything, so we had to be in class in person. So I needed to be uh, on campus after work and needed to be able to commute there in less than like 30 minutes, so.
1: Oh, wow, yeah, I, I get that. I, it's tough, it's tough, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your current position? Ooh,
0: okay, where to start? Because how, starting from urban planning into what I do now, I think I told Alex is not, <laughs> it was not a straight path, but, um, So what I do now is I work for a tech startup. And what we do is we build a product called Climonomics that um, measures and monitors climate risk. So it's essentially the economics of climate change. People wanna know um, how will my assets or my community be impacted by climate change? And what can we do uh, to improve our long term strategies to avoid some of these risks. And so I think the interesting component of what I do now is or the interesting component of climanomics is that our results are in a financial metric. So right now you see a lot of climate hazard maps and they may be heat maps or they tell you how much sea level rise you will face. But what Climonomics does is we take it a step further and assess the vulnerability of your assets and give you a result in financial metrics. So we are able to say that uh, we're modeling a $1 million uh, average annual loss uh, at a certain uh, decadal time period for a certain uh, RCP scenario. So it's very specific in that way. And so I think that's really cool. Now what I do, (laughs) I kind of see my job in uh, two parts. The first part is uh, I work as an account manager. So I'm helping our clients and our customers understand the results and the data behind the results and, um, and making sure they are having a great experience on the platform. The second part of my job is more of my passion, um, which is working with our vulnerable populations. And so uh, as part of our company's mission to incorporate uh, climanomics into every decision or climate-based decision, we also understand the disproportionate impacts on low-income families and communities of color. So we offer our product to nonprofits or community-based organizations at no cost. And so I manage and oversee uh, that program. And so I get to work with nonprofits or tribal communities uh, and provide this data to them that would, uh, they may not have access to.
1: So your job and, and your, your degrees kind of became full circle. Mm -hmm. Um, so becoming, coming from climate change and and meteorology and earth science, and then going to a nonprofit that focused on like just environmental sciences and Mm -hmm. then going and to GW and now you're, you're, you, you went to planning and then you went into this different space but not different space because you were prepared so how do you think that you prepare for your current role like in any way
0: yeah so my current role I will say this may sound cheesy but it's kind of like I I prepared my whole life for this (laughs) you know like (laughs) I know how cringy that sounds but no literally every aspect of my career before this has Put me here, and so um, studying uh, atmospheric science kind of gave me that foundation of being able to explain our results to our customers, being able to understand certain climate hazards or the why models work the way they do. I would say that that set the foundation, that set the tone, um, but then working with in urban planning and you know what I focused on at GW was specifically how climate change impacts our vulnerable populations and why is there this disparity? Uh, Why is there climate gentrification? What's going on? (laughs) So being able to grasp all of that and coming to my, my primary job is I could have just gotten to this role and strictly did account management for Multi-million dollar corporations, but what I wanted to do was bring a different point of view, a different perspective. That there are other communities, there are other uh, industries out there that will find this information just as valuable, and they may need it more. And so, being able to uh, launch the the program that we have now, that specifically works for nonprofits at no cost. Um, Who knows, that may or may not have existed already, but of being able to come here and and take the lead on that. And um, also just advancing my knowledge in software and tech in general. I had no idea what was happening in the tech world. You can't ask me about coding. I have no idea. But so coming here and being able to ground myself in learning product management and Work with our team on new product features that support social equity and social justice. You know, this is a financial tool. And so to be able to kind of lead the team to add a social equity and social justice component to it, I, I think this is where I am meant to be because of all the skills and knowledge and classes that I had taken and passions brought it to this role.
1: So I, I'm very uh, passionate about um, climate change and equity and environmental justice specifically. Mm-hmm. So within minority communities, we don't often look at how climate change actually affects us, um, especially within the environmental justice communities, which are often the most vulnerable, but like you said, but within a lot of local communities, climate change issues um, are the last on a list of issues that we have to tackle. So as a leader in climate change and sustainability, what do you think, why do you think that is? why do you think that climate change isn't more commonly talked about in our communities? And why do you think like our society and our generation are like the people that are now actually taking an investment in it even though environmental justice actually came about in like the seventies and the eighties and black people and minorities were leading that cause. So why do you think that is?
0: Okay, a couple things.
1: <laughs> I say I would think
0: if climate change what wasn't talked about a lot, I think that it is because of people seeing it as a, a distant thing. I think before the last, you know, five, 10 years, maybe, people always kind of saw climate change as like this doomsday that's a hundred years from now. But I think what's making the difference and what's kind of like taking the change is that it's happening right now. People are seeing sea level rise right now. People are seeing extreme heat right now. People are seeing increase uh, in frequency of hurricanes right now. So, and there, and I think, and kind of shifting into finance a little bit, I think people are taking it a little more seriously now their pockets start to hurt and so when you're seeing billion dollars in damages for a city that that makes people turn their heads (laughs) so i i i think that so the two things i would say is people are no longer seeing this as a 100 years from now doomsday it's urgent there's an urgency to it and then people are also seeing financial impacts related to climate change and that is uh, moving them to take some action as well.
1: I would have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> so kind wanted of to pivot a little bit. Um, one of the biggest takeaways um, from your experience um, is that you don't really consider yourself as a planner, per se. Obviously, right now, you, you don't consider yourself as a planner in your current role, but you have worked as a planner. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about your past experiences as a sustainable urban planner, Um, and what was your focus and was there a subject in particular that you were passionate about, whether that's climate change, environmental justice, housing, what have you?
0: Yeah. So I, my first role, uh, after the program was as a transportation planner (laughs) and I don't know how because that was not my area of passion but (laughs) um and so starting off we just kind of did like highway policy I think and our no shade or excuse me no you know no disrespect to the transportation community but it just wasn't for me I didn't feel like I was adding value and I also didn't feel like I was getting where I wanted uh, in terms of my passions. So I um, so I, I talked to my supervisor about this and I actually got transferred onto more projects as the environmental justice uh, specialist for transportation. So this really excited me about that particular industry because I was the person who kind of did quality control on certain uh, transportation plans as a related to EJ and, uh, and vulnerable communities. And so one of the, like, one of the examples I remember is just thinking about, um, what was it in DC? Like the, the city bike, the, the shared bike or in New York, it's city bike.
1: Yeah. It's capital city, uh, bike share.
0: Yeah. Bike share. So they wanted to implement a bike, bike share because, uh, they noticed the community was, uh, maybe I think more than a mile away from the metro station. So they thought, okay, if we put bike share in this community, they'll be able to bike to the train station and, um, and not have to take the bus and be able to have more reliable uh, commute to work and wherever they need to go. So my role is to kind of look at these plans and think about how would it impact the community. And sometimes it took me like, interviewing people within the community to try to understand is this a project you guys would like and so we you know in these in this process we learned that one the members of the community did not want a bike share at all they were scared of it because they saw it as the first step to gentrification so they wanted nothing to do with the bike share at all even if it meant it was helping them get to work 10 minutes faster they don't want nothing to do with it and the second component second thing I learned that was not even being discussed with the urban planners is that within the community not a lot of people had access to a debit or credit card so they wouldn't even be able to set up their car to create an account with the bike share system so you know without roles like mine to kind of do QA on these plans is that they would have put that bike system there in a community that didn't need it didn't use it it would have been a waste of everyone's time and money and yeah so th- that is the type of uh project that I really like to work on and I love being kind of like the the environmental justice gatekeeper of like these <laughs> urban plans
1: i um completely get that i actually worked on a similar project like this this past summer so i completely understand what you're saying <laughs> um but it's interesting that you say that. And I think that a lot of times we thrive when we're most passionate about what we're working on. So, how did you know that this is how long did it take you for one to realize that this particular portion of planning is not for you? And what were those indicators that you were like, this this is this ain't it? This is not it.
0: So I would say I think I knew about six months into my role that the standard policy side of urban planning was not going to be my passion. Um, And the indicators of that were, um, I mean, when it comes to most things related to policy, there are bureaucratic, like, there's long timelines. There's lots of layers to approval. And I I was just so eager. I wanted to do something fast paced. I I didn't want to work on the contracts that they had been working on for the past 20 years. I wanted to take new leaps of faith. And I think that's why the startup life like really drew me in and kept me here because (laughs) I wanted to do many different things. I I didn't want to be just another kind of like tick like person checking boxes and I, I wanted to be a little more creative and so I think that's how I knew that that particular role I'm not saying all of urban planning is this way is but that particular role in policy and transportation just did not suit me
1: <laughs> okay um I I understand that um a lot of times we we're faced with um that decision where we're like should we say something should we not mm-hmm. and in this space you kind of get I guess you can say intimidated just to change or do a different thing still within our spectrum um so my next question is like prior to GW I personally knew very little about climate change and sustainability I'll be very honest with you I've worked in agriculture projects I'm from the south I have a passion for um, agriculture but I still know very little about it Um, But you have a a literal background in science. Um, So what made climate change the most important topic that made you want to pursue it, to study it more and learn more about it? And how would you uh, present that to little black girls and brown girls that look like you? Because if you're from me, from my perspective, I know that I knew nothing about science. And that's just, it just never piqued my interest until I became an adult. So how would you actually present this to little girls and little boys who are like, I don't know if science is for me because it can come off as intimidating. Not that kids don't understand it. It's just that oftentimes they aren't presented with the opportunities that we as adults take on.
0: Yeah, it was kind of funny how I got started into it, because it's not like I grew up knowing climate scientists or (laughs) meteorologists. So no one in my family or no one in my vicinity as a child could have told me about this. I got into meteorology, I think because I was scared of it. So and (laughs) and I'll be honest, you know, growing up in Missouri were very prone to tornadoes and I just was terrified all the time of these like massive thunderstorms and tornadoes and earthquakes and so I was always just interested in how the earth worked because I guess I thought that curiosity and wanting to understand it would help me be less terrified of the next tornado and so... And so in grade school, we had a class uh, where we started learning about clouds and the atmosphere. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is my thing. And it just stuck. Every since the sixth grade, it just stuck. And so I'm not saying science is uh, for everybody, but if you are even the least bit curious about the field, check it out, stick with it. Um, there are so many more resources and groups out there now, um, for support that if you have a strong interest or a passion in it, it's out there. It's out there.
1: That's true. And I believe that, um, I think like you said, it's scary. I, I, I grew up in, like I said, grew up in the South and, um, tornadoes, hurricanes, <laughs> flooding like everything the weather is crazy and and I never would have thought to think I never would have thought to say okay this scares me I'm gonna look into it so I won't be scared and I think that's how we have to navigate life and our career field so was there any other thing that you were afraid of that you were like I'm gonna look into it and I changed my mind or anything yeah
0: so I thought that I because I was so strongly set on meteorology and atmospheric science since the sixth grade, when I was actually applying to colleges, my dad was like, Are you sure there's nothing else? Like, <laughs> you know, give it some thought. Like, because <laughs> I've been like holding on to this dream since I was like 11. But I was like, um, I, I thought I wanted to try accounting because something about money. I was like, "Eh, I don't get it. (laughs) I thought I wanted to be an accountant for a little bit. And then I was like, no, it's just, it's not for me. And so that was the, that was the one uh, other like kind of career path I thought I would look into, but I, I didn't find any passion in it. It it didn't excite me. It didn't make me want to, you know, jump up and get my day started. And so that was at at the end of the day, I kind of lead with my heart a little bit too.
1: You glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Um. So, as a black student majoring in planning, and even within the sustainability world, a common theme is not being able to see yourself, and that's oftentimes throughout different forms of education, especially STEM. So, given that that is changing as more and more women of color enter the field, but what would you say to the young black girls and women of color who may be a bit? Um, a bit intimidated body feel because they don't see as many people like themselves. I mean, you talked about um, like meeting it head on, um, but a lot of students aren't are kids anymore. Our population are kids, and they're just uh, and coming into the program. It's hard for them to make friends because a lot of times they're most comfortable with people who look like them. Mm-hmm. And so, what would you tell those people just to keep them going and even to people who are like, they hear about this climate change class and they're intimidated because they don't have a science background. What would you say to them? Because most of us are just trying to get through it. And I just Mm -hmm. randomly found out that I really like it. So (laughs) what would you say to those students who are actually in the field, who who are kind of feeling lonely, but they're trying to push through, but they don't really see hope?
0: A couple of things. So one thing is, you know, you're not alone i was faced with uh, what do they call it like imposter syndrome where i constantly felt like my credentials were not good enough what i studied wasn't good enough how did i even get in this position how did i get in this program i don't know what's going on <laughs> but it t- it took a lot to um make sure i knew my stuff and as people of color, as women of color, we do have to work twice as hard, if not a hundred times as hard. And so not only uh, do you need to build the confidence, but you have to make sure that your ducks are in a row with your education and your career. And so what I started to do was creating a network in the program. If there was a class I knew I was struggling in, I I connected with other students via email, or I think we, at the end of the day, we had a group me of just people to do homework with and just finding that, that network. And GW also has, I think, pretty good programs, not necessarily within planning, but we were able to connect with some of the other people in architecture school and in, um, there was another one. I think maybe engineering. And so that kind of broadened our, our our the finance school. So in real estate. So that like broadened our you know network a little bit. So they may not have been studying the same thing, but it's like we're here, we're together, and we're gonna spend this time working on our crafts and just being able to see other people like you around you also working was also really motivating and uplifting as well. And so I think the last thing I would recommend is if you are a student and you feel alone and you do not have a mentor yet, please, please, please find a mentor. So for me, I joined the uh, Subso group and I joined the uh, APA young planners group. And I reached out to a, uh, a black woman that I saw in the APA group who kind of mentored me throughout my program. And she was actually the person who got me my first urban planning job. And so sometimes it's just about taking a little bit of initiative and it will go a long, long way. And so making those connections, getting that support so that when you do need help or if it does feel like too much, you're not alone. You can reach out to your mentor or to your classmates and hopefully they can all come back and support you.
1: Thank you. Um, another question I had was one of the biggest and most exciting things that I found out when I was researching you is that your career experience says to me that you don't have to always uh, grow where you're planted. Meaning you have this sustainability urban planning degree, you have this um, environmental science degree, meteorology focus, but you have gone on to work outside of the field um, and do way more. So can you tell us what made you want to go in and change your career direction? I mean, you had this degree, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to stay here for 10 years because our parents are like, you need like stability. Um, so what made you do a career move? It, it is a millennial move because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's of experience, but what made you do it? What made you desire to want a lot more?
0: So for me, and I guess this shows in my trajectory, I do not like being stagnant. <laughs> and so I know some people love, you know, like, you know, I'm content. I got a job that pays, I'm, I'm in my field. This is, this is great. But for me, I am never comfortable when I'm comfortable. <laughs> so I, I am always like, how can I grow? in this? How can I take this up a notch? And so when I, when I saw this uh, job advertised in a, in tech, I was like, oh no, that's not me. You know, I, I can't code. I can't, I can't do all the things. I don't know all the scripts and the languages, but then I I realized I was like, okay, this opportunity sounds amazing i just saw it as an opportunity for myself because i was like it's an opportunity for me to learn more about tech but look at my background i have something to offer here and uh in my interview that's how i positioned myself and it worked out thankfully (laughs) but i i saw it as a learning opportunity and um i also was talking to one of my mentors who said you know when when um Men read job descriptions. If they even qualify for fifty percent of the of the qualifications, they're going to apply. Yeah. Whereas a woman may see a job description. If she, she only qualifies eighty percent, she won't apply at all. And I was like, okay, I will not be. <laughs> I will not be a stat. I will not. You know, I'm just gonna aim for it and and see what happens. I I think I can pitch myself. I think I can position myself and hold my weight. And so it worked out. And so I think it's, it's about not necessarily chasing something, but if you're in a position that is not fulfilling you, then I think it's okay to step away from that. And it it took me a while too, because I, I was like, oh, I have this urban planning degree. What did I go to school for two years for? What did I pay for this for? That assisted me in a way, you know, it helped me get the foundation knowledge that I need in climate change and urban planning, and it helped me look deeper into my passions about working with environmental justice communities, and it helped me meet the people I needed to meet that would advance my career later on. So it's never a waste, but it's, and it's always okay to pivot or change into something because it's still growth. That's how I see it. <laughs>
1: So what do you say to people who are battling imposter syndrome? Because it's 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 very prevalent in, in Black women, especially like we can be overqualified and still think we're underqualified for a position because a few rejections can be life altering. So what do you say to women, especially when you moved careers, you've gotten degrees, and sometimes even you still battle that situation. Like you have to tell yourself, what do I have to offer? So what do you say to to women who, and people who are, who have to deal with that as well?
0: Yeah, that's tough because I know everybody's situation is different. Um, When I was struggling with this at work, I'm like, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not good enough for this. I actually set up like a a mid-year review with my supervisor just to straight up ask, (laughs) am I doing a good job? Is is everything okay? What areas can I improve on? And I think they were just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah. And so it reassured me like, okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm here for a reason. I'm doing my job well. And so that kind of like reassured me that I, I'm not, you know, just floating along here. I'm here for a reason. Um, and it's because they, my team saw me as qualified for this role. And so it's hard to say for people who are dealing with that, who are maybe just job hunting or still in school. I don't know. Maybe I wish I had a little more time to think about that question, but, um, I think my overall sentiment is that you, you didn't graduate from high school and college because you were uncertified, like you have the credentials there, you know what you're doing. If you're in a graduate program, you're, you you were accepted for a reason, you're there for a reason. Um, and a couple jobs in the interview process may not pan out, but the right one is out there for you. Um, yeah, that that one I want more time with, but <laughs> I'll share that for now.
1: Um, So as a Black woman, what do you find was the toughest thing about becoming a planner and how did you overcome it?
0: I think the toughest thing about becoming a planner, and I learned this when we did a, um, I think it was a senior year, like case study, or it was a semester long project. And I remember this, I remember exactly when I recognized this too, is that when it comes down to like the internships or the informational interviews or networking, sometimes it's giving to people who relate to each other, who have that little, I'm like trying to think of the word for it, but like how, how, Black women, we have this as well. You know, when we meet each other, there's a little moment where we just kind of take a moment to relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And I saw this with a, a white male student and then the director of the program that we were all interning for, who was also an older white male. And they just had this little gab, this little, you know, exchange that I just, it, it made me recognize I don't speak the language. We're all speaking English but I felt like I didn't speak the language. (laughs) I was like, I can't go up to this man and start talking about my house in the Hamptons. Like, you know, it's, it was like this, this moment that it clicked for me that I was like, that's going to be my hurdle. That's going to be my challenge. I have to find a way to relate to people that I otherwise would have nothing in common with. And so I think that was one of my biggest challenges, and it's something I still kind of do today when I'm introduced to new people that, on the surface, we don't seem to have anything in common. It takes me a while to warm up to people, and then I just try to find that, that level of, you know, maybe we like the same sport, or we're from the same city, or we live in the same, like, try to find something that, What well, what I do is try to find something that I can relate to them back and come back and talk to them about something on that's not work related. Like, oh, you know, how did your baseball match go? You know, I don't know if, if this is foolproof. I don't even know if this is great advice, but <laughs> it's my way of kind of being a little more uh, relatable to kind of overcome my challenge of not feeling like I speak the language
1: um that is a is it's a it's a boys club sometimes Mm -hmm. um and that can be intimidating um one of the things that uh i have also found in in planning and in school work and interning is the big one of the biggest topics is of course equity and i personally have asked a series of people in the transportation field, in the planning field, their own personal definition of equity. And I will tell you, it ranges Mm. Um, so much so that sometimes I don't even know what they're talking about. (laughs) So how do you define equity in climate change and in planning for communities that are like just specifically minority-based? They may be low-income. They may be environmental justice but generally they're not the place that you would say oh a planner was here.
0: Mm-hmm. So the way I define equity as it relates to climate change, I define it as closing that that gap of disproportion. And so I in my mind it's different from equality because in equality I feel like, you know, in terms of climate t- climate change it could be okay we're dedicating a million dollars to this community for adaptation a million dollars to this community for adaptation a million dollars to that community and that would be equality but when I think of equity I think of tailored and strategic plans of adaptation based on the needs of that particular community so that's how I kind of see equity
1: okay and so Obviously equity has not been the focus in most of the planning for black spaces. So how do you think we as future planners should provide equity in our work? How, how would you say, how would we go about it? Because obviously there are systems in place where we can't just do everything we wanna do. We can't just get all this money and put it towards this community even though they need it. So how would you say that we'd be strategic in putting equity in all of our work and all of our art and all of our passion.
0: So this is challenging because there's like theoretically what you should do. And then there's like the reality. (laughs) Um, So in reality, equity costs money. And the reality is Sometimes we don't always get those resources to the communities that need it most. Um, So, okay, what can we do? I can tell you about a project that I'm working on. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a a broad general statement that applies to all urban planning, but I can't think of one at the moment. But um, something I'm working on is kind of like an equity score for investors. So investors are looking to develop real estate. They're looking of where to invest their money in communities. What we're working on is a tool that will give investors uh, a score or a number to, to show them what communities need it most, which communities are the most vulnerable and what benefit the most from their investment. So there's things like that coming down the pipe, like in technology and in climate science, that um, will support the financial decisions of investors and which communities they turn to. Um, I know that's not a broad example for how we should all tackle equity, but I just wanted to give an example that can hopefully pivot and lead to bigger uh, ideas.
1: I think that is a big idea, having an equity scorecard at this point, because I mean, I know equity isn't a new topic, but it is a new topic, if, you, if that makes sense. Like, we're still, we still don't have it together. Um, and anything that can bring, shine light on an inequitable situation is beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but to pivot back to the conversation where we had about the two gentlemen speaking the same language, that can be emotionally taxing. And I personally carry a lot. I feel Mm -hmm. way more than I actually am successfully able to decompress or just Mm -hmm. not like let go of. And those things like stay on my mind. Like, why is it so easy for you? And why is it so hard for me when we're human beings speaking English? Like you Mm -hmm. said, how do you combat those emotions when like you know that The only way to be successful is to adapt. There is nothing else that you can do. Like in the planning field, we can, we will never be able to work on all the projects that we want to work on, even Mm -hmm. if they're beneficial to communities that would be most benefited. How do you like face those challenges? You have to wake up every day and know that essentially you're excluded from this place, but you still have to make an effort because it's your job, it's your livelihood. How do you combat that? Like those emotions that, that just come about in your life. How, what, how do we get here?
0: Well, I will start by saying first and foremost, I have a therapist. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and so when it all gets too much, you know, I, I do know that I try not to bring, attach so much emotion to it. I try to let a lot of things, I just, I try to tackle, okay, which things can I emotionally and mentally take on right now? And I try not to, you know, go above my threshold. (laughs) Um, But there are times where I do, where I am emotional about that because I think, If my hair was different, if my skin was different, if my gender was different or whatever it is, would this whole experience be different? And I think if I spend too much time dwelling on that, it it wouldn't be productive to me in my career. So I try not to bottle that up so much. Um, But what I, but in moments where I, where that does come to front of mind, I just take it back to, you know, the few things that I know for certain. It is that I am smart, I am capable, and at the end of the day, we're in the same room at the same company, working the same job, or we're all in the same room in the same class going to the same school. So I am no less than anyone in this room. And so... I remind myself, I ground myself in those truths, and I proceed to go above and beyond where I I need to, and still chase the dream and the passion that I started out with.
1: So as a planner, as a climate advocate, as a scientist, what is the most fun? (laughs) The most
0: fun is meeting new people and explaining to them kind of like your background or like what you do for work. <laughs> on the urban planning front and the climate change front, like people never expect it. And then you get to talk about urban planning and climate change. And because these are things that people encounter on their day to day life, but they don't always think about it, they don't always know what. Kind of the strings we're pulling and things were moving in the background in terms of city planning or climate change management. And so these things affect people day to day and they don't know it. And when they find out it's an actual job, they are so interested. And so it's it's an educational moment. And it's just a I don't know. I think that's really, really fun. And I know we've had, you know, stifled uh travel due to COVID, but I really like uh, traveling to and visiting different communities and being able to interview people and talk to them about what they're facing in their community. And so that part used to be really fun, but <laughs> not so much.
1: So a lot of times I personally, um, I tell people that I'm majoring in sustainable urban planning and they're like, what? And so <laughs> the most interesting one was telling my parents that, you know, this is what I want to pursue. And they was like, what is that? And so I would love to know, you know, you're you telling your parents, you are not know, majoring in X, Y, and Z. And, and how did that conversation go? Because if we were to show this to future people who are like, oh, I want to be an urban planner, um, I would love to have something to give them or show them, like, this is how you tell your parents, this is what I want to do with my life. And because most of the time, my parents, especially African-American parents, are like, what is that? It's not a doctor, not a lawyer. It's not a teacher. Like, you got to explain everything at that point, especially climate change. So what did you tell your parents?
0: So I think when I first started talking to them about it, we were in the car. And so (laughs) I just started pointing to things. I was like, do you know why a school is not next to a prison? That's urban planning. Do you know why these stoplights... Are here. That's planning and engineering. And um, do you know why these buildings can't be that tall? That's urban planning. And so I, I think I would just—I think they finally started giving the hint because we were just driving, and I was like, "Look at that! That's urban planning. Everything around you is urban planning. You, why this highway crosses the neighborhood here? That's urban planning." And so <laughs> I think that—I think that was the like uh, uh, initial conversations. And then on the climate change front, I, honestly, I'm still explaining it to them.
1: <laughs> I believe that. I've tried to explain this to my parents. They're like, I'm just happy you're doing something you love. It's fine. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah, at the end of the day, my dad's like, do you need money? No? Okay, great. <laughs> like- <laughs> yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. That That is literally the, the conversation. That is the conversation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my dad's like, you you got money, you got health care, sounds good.
1: <laughs> Literally, it like that. Do you have healthcare? Do you have money? Do you have a place to live? Everything's okay. Okay, what what what's next?
0: Like, yeah, it's fine.
1: <laughs> so, obviously, the best stories in life are the ones where you don't know where you're going and you end up in this like glorious place. Um what would you tell your 11-year-old self who was probably discouraged to be a scientist? Um, It sounds, this is weird, but as
0: an urban planner, but as like an actual planner at heart, I've always had a plan. (laughs) Like I've always like I'm going to be doing something. I may not know the specifics or the details, but I'm going to be doing something related to science. But I would, I think if I had to, if I ever had any, you know, doubts, it was like, am I smart enough to do this? Um, Am I smart enough to get a scholarship to pay for this? What if we can't afford college? And I think... Uncertainty, really. I don't like uncertainty, <laughs> so I, and so I would just. Um, what would I tell myself? I I would tell myself, don't spend too much time worrying about things that are out of your control. Um, what can you do today to set up for your future? What can you do next week to set up for your future? And what can you do maybe in a year from now? And just focus on those three things. I would get so anxious and stressed about all these little details that later wouldn't even matter in a year or wouldn't even matter a month from then. And so I just try to break it down. Like, okay, what can I do about this today? What can I do about this next week? And maybe like, what can I do about this next month? Anything else is above me. (laughs) Like I gotta let it. And so I think that would be my advice to myself. Like if you put, if you, you know, keep at it, you'll be where you need to be. And don't spend too much time worrying and stressing yourself out about things that were already out of your control. So, Work on the things that you can't handle.
1: Okay. Last set of questions regarding the environmental justice community. Um, I've spoken with a lot of community engagement specialists and a lot of planners and policy makers, and they find it really hard to get it right, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. in building and creating space that specifically is beneficial to the environmental justice community um, but doing it yourself is a little bit different um, i feel like sometimes at the end of the day when you go into these environmental justice communities they're a bit more accepting of someone that looks like them hmm Um, I'm not saying that they're always more accepting. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you have, what advice would you give to people who are working with the environmental justice communities? And like, what advice would you tell them when you're going to these communities to help to make changes? Because essentially you're being sent there because there's already a plan coming down the pipeline.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And a lot of times they are apprehensive, not of you as a person, but you as a person who's in this career path and you're sent to be this liaison for the government or for the city and they don't trust the city. So right. what is your advice to us as planners um, in an effort to help them and to in an effort to be the liaison between both?
0: Mm-hmm. I would say one, earn genuine trust. Try not to, and I've made this mistake too. I'm like, oh, I'm going in this community where a lot of people look like me. That does not guarantee trust. <laughs> so try to earn genuine trust. Two, don't overpromise on anything that the city cannot deliver. If you do gain trust with members of the community, they trust you. And so if you have to backpedal or back down for something based on like what the city is delivering, it does not look good for you. So try not to overpromise, but over-communicate uh, what you're there to do and what you as a person can actually deliver on. So those were my top two lessons I learned because I know sometimes it's, we see people in certain situations and we just want to say, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll handle that. We'll take care of that. Oh, we'll you know, we'll resolve that concern. But if you take it back to work or take it back to the city, and that's not a part of the plan or it's not in budget, you have to go back to the community and, you know, backpedal or say it's not going to work out. So avoid over-promising, always over-communicate, earn genuine trust. And Mm, I would say try your best to find creative ways to uh, increase involvement. The more public uh, comments and suggestions that you get, the better the project is going to be. But sometimes it's hard to get people to talk to you in the first place, or sometimes people are defensive if they already don't like the plan. And so I, I just remember like the the standard was these meetings, either like during the work day, like community meetings, like during the work day or at weird hours. And it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel unique to the community who either worked multiple jobs or had to handle childcare. And so I'm like, what are we actually gaining? We're not getting public comment if no one's showing up. And so be unique and be tailored and be specific. Actually get to know the community so you can connect with them.
1: And what would you say to, well, I'll start it this way. A lot of times when you're sent in as a person to be the liaison, uh, most times you're the first person to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first person, especially the first person that looks like you. to do mm-hmm. So... When you're talking to these people, you have to relate these messages back to your place of employment. Mm-hmm. And they already have, like I said, something's already coming down the pipeline. How do you tell them we need to stop and re-look at this situation? Because you said in a previous question, like they wanted to put in like bike share and it mm-hmm. just wouldn't be beneficial, which is happening a lot. There's a disconnect between the people who make the policies and the people who actually utilize the policies. So, what would you say to your bosses, like, this is why we need to stop, or how we need to stop? We need to start over, we need to do this again when there's money already being funneled to this project? Yeah.
0: So, I know like my gut reaction is sometimes is to lead with my heart and say, you know, this isn't going to work. The community doesn't want this. But I've learned uh, when I needed to talk to a supervisor. I needed to come with, like, kind of like a cost benefit analysis. I need to be able to t- attach something factual uh, to my request. And so, even if they've spent money, I would say you're going to get so much community pushback from this that we're going to have to redo this and it's going to double the spend. You know, I would try to put it in a way where it's like, it is in your best interest as a company or as the planning group to not proceed this way or maybe pivot a little bit because we'll save money and time and staff time in the long run. I think for me, those types of scenarios work better because now we're restructuring the budget, we're restructuring the schedule and bandwidth, as opposed to just say, the community doesn't like it, you know, pack it in. but I think coming with a little more substance to your request and uh, a pivot plan, I think will be um, easier to be uh, adopted.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. That's it. Thank been- you for having me. I'm <laughs> truly grateful. I really am. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Out yet.
0: of course of course well yeah let me know if you need anything else or have any questions I'm happy to throw my email in at the end of this and people can reach out
1: perfect thank you we'll all right be checking in with you soon okay okay take care bye, bye. nice meeting you so that's it for subgW. Thanks for listening and join us next episode as we continue to bring insight to the Black Planner Perspective.